0: people say you should trust this whatever password manager why because of our brand right okay what is a brand other than a religion at the end of the day right you, you know why do you believe in it oh because someone else said this is cool and you should believe in this and like i want to get away from that and be like look i'll build a thing you don't have to trust me i'll tell you everything about it i'll tell you i'll tell you how to break it i'll tell you how to make it i'll tell you what's wrong with it I'll, and you can you can make your own version if you want if you don't trust me it's fine but you you will have every reason to know why it works and why it doesn't work And and you know what you get. It's about raising that awareness and getting people more in control of their technology, more in touch with things, and, and, and not just, you know, giving up and rolling over and saying it's too complicated, we can't do anything about it.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Steven Parton and you're listening to The Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio. This week, our guest is hacker Andrew Bunny Huang, who is well known for clashing with Microsoft in the early 2000s, when he taught others how to hack and modify the Xbox. Nearly 20 years later, and Bunny is suing the US government over the ways in which the DMCA, also known as the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, threatens free speech all while also creating hackable hardware with other influential tech figures such as whistleblower Edward Snowden. In this episode, we explore Bunny's takes on the current trends and behaviors that are taking place in technology, including tech security, copyright and IP laws, the differences between China and the Western world's approach to innovation, and current issues around the chip shortage that is facing the global economy. Now, if you want to learn more about Bunny and his work, I highly recommend that you join us in the Singularity community as soon as possible, where we'll soon be announcing a virtual watch party to premiere a documentary on Bunny entitled The Hacktivist. Now, I do apologize in advance for my odd sounding voice in this upcoming episode, as I was recovering from a pretty serious cold at the time. But luckily, Bunny balances out my odd sounding voice with his wonderful articulations. So, without further ado, Let's jump into it, everyone, please welcome to the feedback loop bunny So I think to start, let's get a very easy and cliche question out of the way. How do you mm-hmm. define a hacker?
0: How do I define a hacker yeah um so i'm i'm a I'm a traditionalist, and my definition of hacker comes like from Basically, before people even knew what the internet was, right? It's just it's just someone who is very into a thing. It doesn't even have to be computers or whatever it is, but they're just super into it, and they um, learn all the ins and outs of that particular thing to the point where uh, they realize that maybe the bindings that we have to what we think as a you know a door is a door, a window is a window they don't apply anymore. You're just like, these are just egress and ingress to a place. And so, you know, someone who is a roof and tunnel hacker would be like, oh, these are just ways to get between buildings. They're not mm-hmm. like illegal passages or something like this. I've just gotten really into it, right? And so so to me, that's 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 kind of my definition of a hacker.
1: Yeah, and there's three types of hackers people typically think of, right? White hat, gray hat, and black hat hacker. Which one would you consider yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean, within the right, the more traditional sense, the computer-oriented sense of hacking. Yeah. Um. I guess that's a that's a tough question. Um, probably gray hat is the easiest answer because I am not I'm neither, solidly white or solidly black. But I I, I think I think um, I'm am de- definitely leaning more on the on the white hat side. But I'm but I'm not bound. I'm a, I'm an individual. I'm not bound by a corporation. I'm not bound by these other things. So I have things I can do that some white hat hackers would would consider to be black hat. Effectively, at the end of the day, you know, I I have basically more operational freedom than a typical white hat hacker.
1: And and if under that guise or just in general, like what are some of your goals as a gray hat hacker, as a hacker in general, in the in the computing sense of the term?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, my. My biggest overarching goal is to just make everyday people understand that technology is not uh, scary, right? And 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 part of it is is you know the part of the shtick is that I am an individual, right? And and I'm just a regular person. I'm not a genius. I'm not. I, you know, I've just been around for a while. I've been I'm like I said, a guy who's just been hacking away, like just like into a thing a lot, and you learn a bunch of these things. And so, uh, you know for me, a lot of it is about just you know showing people that you know you you can control your technology and you can you can build your technology and you can do these things. And so sometimes, if to show people that they can control their technology involves jailbreaking something or you know showing people how to get around a particular thing, then that's I think that's a very you know impactful way to get people back in touch with it. And sometimes if it's just educating people, writing books, Giving lectures and and holding workshops and and focusing on diversity and getting more people inside, that's also like it, it within the same mission of making sure that people you know uh, feel in control of their technology.
1: Do you think it's a big issue right now that people don't really understand how their technology works? Like do you see certain problems that come from this? a oh, yeah. paradigm that we're in where people just simply don't understand what's going on behind the device yeah oh it's huge it's huge i mean i mean it,
0: it's i mean it, it's ever since just like the beginning of social networks right um like i remember back in whatever it was the 90s or early 2000s facebook came out or something like this and and people were just like you have to be on this it's so cool and like you know whatever else or something. and like even back then i was like this is crazy like you know you don't just give someone your social network for free you don't just like give people access to like you know and i would try to explain to them and they, were, they thought i was insane for telling them like you know once people know who you talk to other people and how you do things they can start influencing how you think right and 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 and, and you know the whole the, the kind of the larger issue is that now we have these magical boxes and everything's in the cloud right and and when people don't understand what people think somehow maybe that like when they put a password in the cloud, it's in some special place that's actually just for them. Right. And no one can look at it, but it, it's, it's not, I mean, it's just, you can, you can make all the arguments you want around it and maybe there's some clever crypto tricks You try to, you can try to make it feel a little more um, secure or something. Maybe if you're actually just uploading a blob when it comes out, but, but there's, but there's generally speaking, a lot of the data that that is sent into the cloud, I feel, um, People don't understand how vulnerable it is, um, and 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 uh, just that alone. Uh, people having the wrong threat model in their in their head. People not understanding, and, and almost just even acknowledging how, as humans, we're so not gullible but vulnerable to sort of like suggestion of of a sort. Like you know, we 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 were evolved in a in a day and time when. If we had problems, we'd get together as a village and we would have maybe 100, 200 people there. We'd see each other eye to eye. Someone would say something, another person would object and maybe some people would yell really loud. But you could, you could see hints of like, you know, you could get a, a, a spidey sense of truth. But if like, you know, 200 people all sort of like agreed on something in that room, you felt that was truth, right? But now it's like you can get thousands of viewpoints that all look fairly independent Affirming the fakest thing that you want to Google for, right? I mean, like it's just like you can basically. And we're not we're not trained to deal with such enormous numbers like that. Um, and and people not understanding how technology works and how it can basically reroute their decision process, the logic process, thought processes is, is is an ex- existential crisis for humanity. I think even at the end of the day.
1: Do Do you think that this was? Potentially inevitable, uh, given the development of this technology, because I think specifically of the early 90s, I think of people like Douglas Rushkoff, I think of these ideas of liberation and kind of like weird techno utopian, this kind of like the hackers movie thing where people are just, you know, in this world getting free and loose in the Wild West of of the machine world. And it and did we did we lose that because? capitalism moved in to technology or did we lose it because that's just how technology has to evolve or some other reason
0: I, I i yeah i mean i think i think it's a um it didn't have to be this way i don't think i don't think i don't think it has to be such a adversarial relationship with technology i think uh and i don't want to just blame it just on on capitalism because that's that's almost a little too trite to to say that but but I think it it basically has to do with at the end of the day incentives and um and and people valuing i guess education and understanding about what they're dealing with I think if people actually were given technology and explained a little more clearly about how dangerous something can be or what they're doing um we would make better decisions. But unfortunately, a lot of people's introduction to technology is like, here's a great thing. Just click here. Here's a, you don't worry about what's in this legalese stuff, but it'll be great. And now look at all these wonderful things you have. And then, and then that turns into a monetization source. Now you have like all these sorts of incentives and what, what it, what it is. But, you know, if people were a little, if, if we even had like a equivalent, of like a birds and the bees talk or sort of like a, a, a very like, you know, uh, someone said that we have to have like the birds, the pre- bees, and the private keys, right? That needs to be like the next thing we have to add to that is that we have to explain to people um, these fundamental things about sort of like technology and the way we interact with the digital environment. Um, I think I think we would have a more um, better relationship with our technology, but but right now, unfortunately, the the thing that people want because it's very profitable is they just want you to believe that a company can solve everything for you and this magic box will do it right just subscribe into our thing we'll take care of you we'll respect your privacy your rights will be all taken care of right you know we we know better than you that kind of thing you don't need to learn any of this stuff right it's it's fine right you know what can go wrong and that 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 goes really far off in the wrong direction right and so and so just you know maybe some even just like as as a matter of like a civic discourse or, or public education, like putting more emphasis, like like computer skills is not how do I open up Word doc and and bold text or, or enter a spreadsheet, right? Computer education is more about like understanding just where the information goes and what it can do to you and how to keep yourself safe. Um, and these—it's—it's it's a tricky topic. I—I I imagine now that the cat's out of the bag, computer education is going to be as controversial as teaching evolution in school or something like this. Like it's just going to be like, you know, some people are really not going to want to know the truth about it because because it's going to be awful to to deal with that.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of what you talked about there with the, where the information goes, <clears throat> what do you think about the current way that data ownership works? Would you support kind of shifting more of the ownership of data towards the user so that they can decide how to use it and maybe get paid for uh the information that they provide or do you think the current model has a lot of value
0: yeah i mean i think i mean there's a lot of logistical challenges with implementing something like you know making sure users get some value out of it but but they're solvable i think people are working on schemes and it, and it, it but anyways, the, the short answer is yes, there is value in that, that you, you absolutely, sh- we actually need, absolutely need to change um, the status of ownership and how it's treated. There needs to be legal teeth put into it so it's enforceable and lawmakers have to care about it. And then companies will bitch and moan and whine and say, it's very hard to do this, but then they'll figure out a clever way to, to solve that problem. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I think there are technologies that that can, Allow people to participate in a digital economy, in an information economy, and still retain control over uh, what they what they um, can and can't do. But but it, re- it does require a pretty radical rethink um, of things. And and the concern is that we've maybe gone past a bit of a tipping point in terms of like um, th- it would be so hard to catch up that different economy where you 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 know you have a little more of your information on the inside. Versus the services that come out of the, you know, the concierge economy. I guess you will of information where we know everything about you and we just give you what you think you want, right? Um, the, the, that that delta is getting to the point where it might be hard. It's it's a much harder proposition to catch up. If we did it right the first time around, then then I think things would be better. But now that we kind of have things wrong, I think I think we both have to fix the hole and dig ourselves out of it, right?
1: Yeah. So. Well, speaking of that, I mean, one of your fights that you've been uh, pursuing was, I believe, a lawsuit against the DMCA. DMCA. Yeah. I don't know where that currently stands, but could you are you able to talk about that at all?
0: Yeah, I can talk a little bit about it. Uh, okay. it. It's still in in the court system. We filed in in 2016, and it's still there. It it. There's one thing I'm learning from this whole process is that is that the, the, like going through the front door and the legal process is very time consuming. It's very hard. It uh, work. It does not work at internet speed. It just doesn't, right? Um, but yeah, we ha- we we've got a complaint in. Um, there's been some you know actions back and forth, and I think you know uh, my counsel just just recently filed some papers on it. But we're trying to, you know, I mean, the the fact of the matter is the case is is very real. It's it's still uh, it, it basically it, it's a case about um, uh, section 1201 of the DMCA. Um, you know, is the part that makes it uh, a crime to remove a cryptographic lock. Um, and and there's a, a few parties to the case, I'm one of them. And my part is basically like, I I have digital video that is locked up. It's in my home, I legally own it. I would like to do something with it, right? I just want to do anything with it almost basically, right? But the problem is I can't because it's encrypted and it's actually illegal, unlawful for me to do something with it, right? And so I have a small company um, called Alpha Max um, Media that produced a device that is capable of, has the potential to break that digital lock. But I'm waiting for the permission to do that for me to really unlock the full potential of the device. There's a whole bunch of things that are out there, like machine learning and, and image recognition and subtitling and and you know color correction for blind people, a bunch of stuff that we can do to like to video that can that can improve. The situation um, but it's it's currently um, not lawful for me to do it um, and we feel that it impinges upon my right to free speech like you know i want to express myself about this i want to I tell other people how to do it i want to enable other people to i want to have more conversations about this this topic but but you know because uh you know because of this the situation that we have i, I can't you know i'm I'm held back. Right. And it, it's frustrating to held back for so long. It's just like, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'm lucky that I had the privilege to be able to to keep the company afloat despite all the challenges in front of it. Like you know, we barely have it out there and we really can't unlock the potential. And it's, and it's really actually, you know, da- you know, it's, it's damaging in many ways not to be able to, to get past this point, but that, you know, it's, it's, we just have to keep trying, right? If we just fold, then then they'll never hear it. And the and the problem is is that like a lot of the issues with sort of the section twelve oh one is is that it's stood for so long that that courts now say, can you show us any evidence of harm done? And the problem is now you're trying to prove a negative. How do you prove all the children that weren't born because of a particular event, right? You know, how do you you know all what 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 about the works of the people who 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 worked you know, killed in a particular event or something like this, you know, can you prove that they were going to create value anyways, right? You know, well, they're dead now. We can't talk about them, but you know, they were human beings. They could have done something, but you know, they they, clearly, we can't say anything. So it's like, we're in this weird situation now where, 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 where it's very hard to sort of prove this negative. And so I'm trying to just hang on with my nails on the edge of the wall being like, look, you know, I'm just holding on here. And there's, you know, I can't, you know, I'm trying to, to, to make it through this case. Just, just make, just hear me out even, right? You know? Yeah.
1: What do you think about, I guess, the state of intellectual property and copyright in general at this point then? Because, I mean, are we losing just tons of innovation because of this, or is it actually beneficial to have some of these things because we need some way to have a return on investment for people who are yeah. spearheading, how do, how do we reconcile that relationship between, I guess, investment yeah. and IP and copyright?
0: I mean, we, we had, I mean, the system as created was not as broken as it is today. Part of the reason, it's not, it's not that it's fundamentally wrong. It's just that they've continued, they've made patent lives longer and longer and longer, right? They've made the cost of filing patents higher and higher and higher, the cost of reviewing patents higher, like they, they just keep going up copyrights themselves the lifetimes are getting longer and longer and longer i find it like just insane that like things that i saw in my childhood i will die not having rights to remix right like you know my childhood is not mine it belongs to disney right and 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 that there's a little pit of me that 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 feels sad actually that you know it used to be kids in the 1800 whatever it is they would they would told stories and they could retell it to their kids in their own way Right. It was part of your culture. It was your fabric. And you could put your 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 imprint on it. You you could you could grow and live and breathe with that. But now the very fabric of our culture, the, the shared memories are are not ours anymore, right? Because of the length of that the copyright. And it didn't start that way. It wasn't that way. Right. You know, I don't have an objection. I'm a, I write books too, and I and I make royalties off of selling books. It's fine, right? You know, I I you know, but I also open source a lot. Allow my stuff too. there's value in just a printed book right actually, at the end of the day, it turns out like you know people will download PDFs or whatever but people still just want the printed book and there's you know I'm fine with that that's that's you know that's a great business too, right there just you know giving people the the good of the book but in and you know things like um a lot of medical treatments are very hard to make, and you know, it just wouldn't be feasible if you didn't have some guarantee after ten years of work or wherever it is. you know so there there are places where it has a meaning, but in the technology world right 20 years for a patent lifetime is ridiculous it doesn't even make sense and then you get into software it, it doesn't like it doesn't even like in the, 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 cop, eternal copyright and software or whatever it is is like it's this like there's so many things that are just a fundamental mismatch with that um uh sort of economy and and what we end up missing again we're trying to prove the negative what are all the startups that didn't happen because they were hampered by copyright you know show me a, show me a startup that would have happened that you know had we had we changed it. i can't because they would have been illegal they would have been sued out of existence right at the end of the day and so the best place we can do is we can start to go to places like china and look at um like that ecosystem not because their system is better but because their system is uh, Galapagos, like a completely isolated ecosystem that didn't have influence of the West upon it, and it had to figure out IP law in itself. And then you can sort of see examples of of how innovation could come about in a system where it was the Wild West in terms of like copying movies and 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 remixing things and sharing IP on 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 whatnot. And 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 you know the the Western theory that like. People would have zero incentive to innovate or do anything at all if if you knew your stuff would be stolen tomorrow actually didn't hold because like up you know china has actually done stuff right and they've managed to do it despite like you know sort of uh the western style you know ip laws and again i i have to emphasize i'm not saying that you should throw you one system or the other it's just very interesting to see the comparison points and i think probably it's not so much an abolition of, of IP, but it's more we need a reform, a very strong reform of it. Um, some law and order is good, but right now it's it's just gone too far in terms of like, you know, just lifetimes and rights holders and penalties and stuff like this. Yeah. yeah.
1: Could Could you talk a little bit more about that difference between the East and the West and specifically kind of what's happening in Shenzhen and maybe the way like. Uh, you talked before in um, your TED talk about fecundity versus protection. Could you explore yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, so yeah, it's really interesting how it all came about. So, so in in this, I'm talking about Shenzhen in the, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. The China is very rapidly changing right now. So, it, we it, like actually, it's very, I think it's very important to put the asterisk on any. Uh, thing we talk about at this point because because China is going through such a massive social change um, that we like things may not apply in the future. But you know, for, for over that period of time that uh, I was looking at it, um, you know, uh, that ecosystem had to figure out basically how do you how do you create an economy? How do you incentivize people to innovate when when um, you know there there weren't strong IP. Laws and protections, and what you find at the end of the day is that um, the emphasis goes towards uh, means of production. Basically, if you have the ability to do something, to build something, it's actually more valuable for you to share all the specifications because you get designed it easier. The collaboration is easier with lower barriers at the end of the day. And so it's not, it, you know, in a way, China became a, it is a manufacturing juggernaut, in part because within that society the wheels turn much more, more freely. You don't have, you don't walk into a factory and sign an NDA before you can see the line in the process. It's very typical. I'll walk in there, shake the hand of the, of the boss, wherever it is. And he opens up a door after I gown up or something. And I'm just, there. I'm looking at everything going down the line. And like this, I mean, the stuff I see, you know, a lot of American companies would be gobsmacked. I'm, I'm looking at like, you know, the production of the, you know, the whole, Fang production lines, right? You know, whatever it is running down here, I, all their secret IP being put together. And I'm just I'm just looking at it, right? You know, it's fine. But you know, that's how the ecosystem sort of works, is that is that they, you know, I go in, I respect that, you know, you know, and we and they and the thing is is there is a bit of like if you if I if I really blow the lid off and I just screw that guy and I copy something and and then then actually there's a you lose this this concept in China called Guangxi face, right? It's it's sort of like a social currency. I get known as a bad actor, and and I don't. They don't open the doors for me anymore. People know that I'm I'm not sort of contributing to this pool of of sharing of of manufacturing knowledge. But at, at the end of the day, what happens is that now you have um, uh, essentially what what have, you get these little villages that come up. So one guy is making circuit boards, and he gets a little successful. Actually, his competitor will open up right across the street from him, and and they actually don't. They, they compete, but they also know each other, right? They'll walk out and they'll say, hey, how's it going? Whatever it is. And then what they'll find is they, one guy is really good at doing circuit boards of a particular type. Another guy is good at doing circuit boards of like maybe with metal core. And then a person will come along and they'll start doing high density circuit boards. And their person will start doing like, you know, another specialty in circuit boards. And you get like this village actually of like, you know, 50, 60 circuit board guys all in one little area. They all share ideas. They all have their own equipment because they're they're running stuff. And then it, it's really the the kind of icing on the cake is now I can go to one of these guys and I say, hey, like you know, I, I had this problem where um, I was building a circuit board that was going to be part of a of a biological uh, assay, and it needed to be uh, pristine, had to be um, um, uh, sterile at the end of the day. So I, I I go to a circuit board house. I'm like, I need to sterilize my circuit boards, right? Like this weird request. I'm like. Do you happen to have an oxygen plasma etcher anywhere? right? Of course, he doesn't have it. But it turns out, just across the way, there's a guy who has one of these for one of his other processes. And he's able to just take the boards across the way, go to the oxygen plasma etcher, Etch off all of the biologicals, right, and then stick it immediately into the sterile container and give it back to me. And, and like I'm charged like hundred dollars for the whole thing, right? Like the whole process of development was like a hundred bucks, right? And so and so this is this is the spirit of sharing now, right? You know, like this guy who had the oxygen plasma etcher was not like you have to sign an NDA, you have to do this, you have to pay me for this or whatever it is. He just rented the machine by the hour, and then they knew that it was there, and they you know, and, and it's 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 really you know that that type of a that openness that sort of that, you know that free flow of information and knowledge and, and know how between it makes the ecosystem very fecund, very robust, very systematic, systemically um, capable of handling shocks and and uh, adapting to, to to problems. At the end of the day, so so you know that that it's an interesting, I would say, data point on on, on how things can work um, in the, in that situation
1: do you think we need maybe like both worlds for that to really thrive where maybe the protected West kind of pushes forward progress and then you have these pools of sharing like Shenzhen that take that progress and then mix and share it? Like, is it really beneficial to have both or do you think we could survive wholly on one or the other?
0: Uh, I think you have to have both. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I, I, I also, I'm almost Push back against the question because you poses an either or. Like you know, sure. the West is obviously doing innovation. There's no innovation that came out of the ecosystem, and, and the West also can't mix and burn because obviously they're not sharing it. Like you know, like it's not you know it's not the question itself already had like an answer built into it. Um, I, I think I think I think um, there's a time and place for for both. You have to sit down and sometimes just figure out a hard problem and do some R&D and take a risk. And there are times when you want to go across the way and say, hey, can you help me solve this problem? I don't know how to do it, right? And let's share and collaborate, right? And in an ideal world, you have some amount of mutual respect um, for the effort that it takes to do it. And I think in these, actually, these small manufacturing villages, because they're all sweat toil labor manufacturing guys, like there's a certain, like, just respect. When someone does something like drops, you know, a really good process knowledge or something like this, they're like, Whoa, like that's awesome. you know, like, you know, like it's, you know, there's sort of like a, you, you almost a, there's a social bond. It's not a legal bond, you know, it's not sort of enforceable, but, but the people have an incentive to um, innovate and share uh, because they want to, you know, get that cred. They, they want to, and they will they'll get they'll get favors back from people as a result, right? Um, you know, and in the West as well, you know, I think I think that it just it would be nice if there would be a little, a little less barrier to like just sharing a little more process knowledge, particularly for things that are they're just extremely well known. Like one thing that's very frustrating for me is that um, chip processes that are now a decade old, like ten years old, are still heavily heavily locked up under NDA. Right and and like we like it's it's just mind boggling like the, the equipment's depreciated like you know they they're 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 making these things like you know gangbusters and 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 there's not there's been papers published on this academics have improved upon this that it's it's literally ten year old technology and if we could just open that up a bit and talk to each other I feel like there could be another wave of like really interesting innovative stuff coming out of chips and, and research in that area, but it's a real bottleneck right now. And it's facilitated by the, these very strong IP laws that that you know, because these, these chip companies, as long as they're a small cabal who can basically as a cartel control that information with, along with the very high barrier of entry to like, you know, purchasing all the equipment, they, they, they can operate in this mode for a very long time and, 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 and keep out any sort of competition. Right. And, and, and that's, that's a tough, it's it's tough. I think I think that I think it, it does hold back a certain amount of progress in that area.
1: Yeah. Do you see any technologies that are coming down the line potentially changing this? <clears throat> and by that, I think of things like 3D printing or maybe blockchain uh, technologies somehow giving some power back to the masses to where they can kind of circumvent the gatekeepers. It's hard. I mean, it, particularly, in, I mean. It, posed in the
0: context that we were just talking about of electronics manufacturing, the difficulty of the other things you mentioned is they're all pure digital remedies. And and this here, unfortunately unfortunately we're still talking about a physical plant, right? That is being gatekeeped with IP at the end of the day. So the physical plants are not operating as as service providers, but they're also operating as sort of kingmakers by um, you know, in a, in a, it is in a way like you know, TSMC can't, is a kingmaker. If they decide to take your project and they say, "Okay, we're going to put you on our latest process," then your company will be successful. I mean, look at AMD, look at Qualcomm. These guys have been just like at TSMC's side, and they're they're taken off. But the companies that TSMC also didn't pick, right, into their into their into their stable, they they don't go anywhere. If they, if they're not going to build your wafers, you die, right? That's just so so so. Not that you know, I think it's necessarily under a obligation to be um, more open about it. But I think that for, particularly for the older processes um, and particularly today, we're talking about like, you know, a lot of nations talking about throwing billions of dollars at these public money at these places to build fabs on their grounds. I feel like maybe the public should get something back. If we're going to give you billions of dollars incentives to build the fabs on other things, just take a portion of your line, not a whole lot of it, but just make it open access as a public good to go ahead and give us some benefit to this other than just simple mere access to your team-making ability. Let's have some actual, you know, um, conversation about, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, public tax money coming back in the form of like, you know, facilitating innovation at the very bottom level. I think that that would be a very reasonable stance um, uh, to have. But you know, as far as I know, no one's really, really. I, more people and politicians are more worried about just can we get chips, right? And in, in the case of like a war or or conflict or whatever it is, we have to be able to, you know, that, that's all they really want right now. They're not really thinking in, in terms of the bigger picture of innovation and trying to negotiate like a, you know, a sort of a peace dividend at the end of the day, sort of like public access to these. to these facts. But I, I really hope that people could be a little more aware that this is an ask that I think that's really on the table right now. You're really, literally taking taxpayer money and giving this company a bunch of money shouldn't you at least be able to control some portion of the production or some have some say as to what runs down it and not just you know just you know build the facility for this cartel to move in and do its thing, right? So
1: I mean sounds reasonable to me. <laughs> yeah. Do you, yeah. Do, you uh, do you think that the current situation is gonna kind of push this along at all? I mean, because of the war, because of the economy right now um i'm hearing a lot of talk about you know the issues with shortages on chips chip manufacturing yeah. and a lot of this stuff like are we yeah. is our hand going to be forced here in maybe a positive way or do you think maybe not uh,
0: unfortunately i don't see any 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 enlightened talk in in the direction of more openness in fact it's 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 going more towards cannibalization and closed up what what you're seeing now is you know, the, I don't know if you saw the series from uh, Danella Meadows about sort of like um, uh, sort of sustainability of ecosystems, ecosystem collapse and these types of things. So she, she, she was like a professor from the 1970s or something and did, did these papers about how like uh, deer would graze on a plateau or something like this and they would support like a population of 10,000 deer. And then the population would collapse, it would recover, but it would only recover to a few hundred deer, not 10,000 deer. Same plateau. Right, And the reason why is because after the collapse, the deer are aggressively grazing on the roots of the grass. It can never grow back anymore. Right? And so what we're seeing right now is that after this collapse of the system, a very large systemic collapse, the governments and stuff are now not funding like more open capacity. They're actually funding proprietary closed capacity. So if it turned out, say, like before the pandemic, we could produce, say, a million units of something... And, and that fab was running at 90% you know, efficiency. where you're finding governments government's like, we will, bu- we will fund you to build a million units on our soil, but you can only build for our market. So now that, instead of running at 90% capacity, they have a million units capacity, but only running at whatever 70% capacity, right? So now you have even more capacity coming up around the world, but they're all being used less efficiently because they come with these little strings attached about how the capacity has to be deployed and the geographic uh, location of it. And that, that has a negative effect. Overall, actually, on 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 a particular retail, like I'm a what I call retail player. Like I don't, I'm not big enough to go to TSMC and order like cassettes of wafers, and I can't go to TI and negotiate million chip deals. Right, I I'm on the retail market. These guys have to have an incentive to sell to little guys like me, a hundred chips at a time. It it really has a has a negative impact on on that retail market, um, and it gives and these barriers create more control effectively towards. Yeah, middlemen and corporations at the end of the day and so and so unfortunately that 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 system is currently on a course for going the wrong way. We'll have more capacity than ever did before but actually less ability to utilize it uh, because of because of the nature of the beast.
1: Yeah. Speaking on your ability to acquire these things, can you talk a little bit about some of the projects that you're currently working on? I know for one, you have the, I believe you have precursor, which is your yeah, secure yeah. phone and maybe some yeah. other things you want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so I mean, yeah, the two, we actually talked a little bit earlier about the, 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 the project involved in the 1201 lawsuit, which is called NETV2. It's a little video processing unit. Um, but then the, the, the more the, the other project I'm working on is is called Precursor. The idea is I want to build a, a device for helping you manage secrets, um, things that are important for bootstrapping your digital life, your core secrets, right? Um, and, and I want to give you a evidence-based reason to trust it. So again, this goes back to the whole problem of like, people say you should trust this, whatever password manager, why? Because of our brand, right? Okay, what is a brand other than a religion? at the end of the day, right? You, you know, why do you believe in it? Oh, because someone else said this is cool and you should believe in this. And like, why, why is this good? Cause it's, cause of the acts and deeds of this person. It's, it's very similar. You know, there's, it's not, it's not an evidence-based sort of thing. And it's, it's kind of controlled by anyways. So, so, so I want to get away from that and be like, look, man, like um, I'll build a thing. You don't have to trust me. I'll tell you everything about it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how to break it. I'll tell you how to make it. I'll tell you what's wrong with it. Uh, and you can you can make your own version if you want if you don't trust me it's fine but you you will have every reason to know why it works and why it doesn't work and and you know what you get right that's 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 the point of this this product and the purpose of it are for like um you know not you wouldn't necessarily want to use it every day because it's a little i take a very extreme position on security so it's the UI is a little bit clunky in some ways, but you have some very precious passwords for, you know, you know, banking or crypto wallets or something like this authentication things you, you, people are finding more and more that they're under like, you know, um, sort of cyber attack and ransomware, these types of things you want to keep them separate. You want to segregate it. This is, this is the place you would want to put those types of, um, really valuable, uh, private keys, these types of things. And so, and so that's, that's kind of the, the focus of the, of the project. Um, it's a physical device, so I have to build them. It's hard. It's very, very hard to acquire anything right now. Uh, yeah, I think I think probably by the time this podcast airs, we'll actually have run out of stock, and we'll be out of stock for a few months because I'm just struggling. Like, like I have one part that before the pandemic, it was I was buying for a dollar fifty. It's now the spot market for it is one hundred fourteen dollars. Um, Whoa, it's insane. If I wanted it today, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. extreme, but, but then if I were to, were to go through the front door and buy it, not through the gray market and just put it in the, the the published lead times a hundred weeks, two years, right? Like I could, I could have two kids and start raising a family in the time it takes for me to like, you know, uh, produce the next one of these things. Right. So, so there's, there's a lot of wonkiness happening right now in that supply chain. And the truth is somewhere in between. Um, it's not, it's not as bad as it sounds, and I just made it sound because part of it, there's a lot of it that's actually um, hoarding and bad behavior on the, mar- on the, on, on the part of uh, market makers. So um, I, uh, the every indication I've seen so far is the supply side stuff is coming back, right? But everyone who's been making money so far off of the post-pandemic pricing wants to keep the pricing up. A lot of this you know, inflation we're seeing is just, Gouging and marketeering at this point in time, there's not there's not as much demand as as there to be. So at some point in time, that's going to drop, and we're see we're starting to see in some sectors we're starting to see that drop happen. But you know, for me, it's basically I'm just playing this poker game, holding my cards and and trying not to fold and hoping that these guys give them before I give them because I don't want to pay 114 for the part. And I think they're going to have to sell some parts one of these days soon. So you know, I'm just going to keep staring them down the down the face and hope that <laughs> hope they hope they blink right. So,
1: is is this phone the, uh, part of the project that you did with Snowden, uh, Ed Snowden, uh, or it's, inspired it's, by
0: that? It's inspired, yeah, yeah.
1: So, 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 so the
0: project, yeah. So the, the project we did was trying to help journalists have some trust that their phones are not betraying their position, right, through um, you know uh, signal emissions of their phone, and um, and so the approach we took that direct project was to try and instrument a phone. To um, to see when it's transmitting, there's actually a bus inside of an iPhone that you can just tap and look at, and and see when the antennas are being uh, calibrated and when the power control is going that sort of stuff. And uh, and uh, it turned out that actually, even if you could get that data, it's very hard to do anything with it because um, you know iPhones will transmit in airplane mode sometimes for legitimate reasons, right? Like I I don't know what legitimate reasons are, but they reserve the right to do it, right? And so how do you tell? That apart from something malicious, like it, it, when your vendors are already sort of doing things that are you know across a certain line, you know it it's it it becomes too difficult to analyze, and so that 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 whole problem of too difficult to analyze became a theme, right? So that so one of the aspects of precursor and part of the reason why the user experience is not as smooth as a lot of the modern smartphones today is that I really wanted to keep it simple enough that you can analyze it. So. Today, the problem is even if you gave me a smartphone and all the parts, all the source code for it, I couldn't analyze it within a lifetime. Right? It's just too much stuff going on. It's really cool. A lot of wonderful things happen. We can play games on it, you know, it's whatever, view videos, and you can be in the middle of the forest and get, you know, all this sort of crazy stuff you can do with your phone today. But it, it comes at a price of extremely high complexity, a lot of moving parts. So you don't even really want And so precursor itself, we, we say, okay, we're going to do one thing, we're going to do really well. And we're going to do it as simply as possible, so you can actually analyze what's going on. So it's not just a shtick of like I'm going to throw you some things and oh you figure it out. It's like you know I'll I'll show you how to figure it out. I have a, I have a video where I say we go from like boot to root in one hour. I go from like literally the very first instruction that happens, how the CPU gets compiled, the structure of the CPU, all the way into the OS to like you know sort of your your root keys in, in a one hour video. It, it it's pretty dense, but but the but that's that video is, represents the essence of 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 evidence-based trust i can actually give you reasons and if you doubt me you can look yourself right and that's 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 where i'm trying to get at
1: do you think it would be beneficial to move towards like a module type uh paradigm in the future where we kind of have that really complex base and then allow people to have kind of like your phone precursor have these like very simple tool sets that sit on top of that
0: yeah, I mean, I think I think there is definitely a, a modular, I mean, the the way in a way the precursor functions as a module in security in the sense that when we have the second factor to a phase, it used to be this the second factor you would get was like a little FOB token with six digits that would roll over and it was truly a second factor. It was not in your phone. The problem today is that you have a phone that you're browsing the web on and you wanna do a banking transaction and the SMS comes in on that phone, right? With other And other things that can list the SMSs on your phone, you you type in the six numbers on it, or you scroll down the, the screen, the six numbers are there, and then and you're in. And it's like, okay, we've got one factor again, right? So so it's not that we can't – it's a good idea to modularize things, but you, there's still a, a, an actual benefit in keeping these two things physically separate. Uh, uh, the saying I have is, like, you don't want to eat where you poop right? Even if I gave you a toilet and I, and I showed you this thing where you could just like flush it with chlorine, whatever it is. And I put a salad in, it, and it's like, look, it's really clean. There's just some, we don't do it because like, but what if there was some poop left over, right? And really you're sitting here, you're on your phone, you're browsing cat memes and whatever it is and getting spam and cryptocurrency. And, and then, oh, banking, literally the same screen, one swipe away. Like, like it, we we're, we're trained to think it's okay to, eat out of our toilet bowls effectively when it comes to digital technology because we want to have just one thing in our pocket that we carry around. Um, and and so part of the notion behind Precursor is we want to we want to have a kitchen where we prepare food and a place where we do our business. And those are just, as a matter of hygiene, we keep them separate. If you want to put them together, that's fine. You can also do that. Like you're allowed to do that. You can take our stuff and mod, you know, modularly plug it into it. But part of the pitch is actually you don't poop or eat.
1: Yep. Fair enough. Well, as we come up to time here, man, I want to know, like, what's, what are your thoughts looking forward? Like, what are some of the things maybe that you're excited about in this space, whether it's open source, new technology, innovation, anything at all?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I you know, unfortunately, the news these days has not been great. Um, and, and so it's it's been hard to, it's been hard to maintain an optimistic outlook on, on things. But um I I think that there is, uh, usually, what happens after uh, sort of an adjustment, a correction like this, is that there is there is a phase of of greenfield innovation, right? Like when the when the old trees, the big trees, kind of burn down, they create fertilizer and and space for new ideas to come up. So really. A lot of right now is looking for where where does where does the space start to open up after all the carnage happens and where where the opportunities we can sort of move forward? And so there, you know, we're seeing some, you know, my complaint about the fabs and whatnot, there we're seeing some movement of fabs starting to open up. And actually as 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 business business starts to get worse for them, it's easier to do a pitch for open source to them because they're not so busy just printing money. They want more business leads. And so open source actually helps get them more chip designs, right? At the end of the day. So There are there are um, opportunities of this sort, I think, out there, and uh, a lot of it is just I as a small, you know, I'm an independent. I just I I don't have big corporate backing, wherever it is. I just have to pace myself, survive through this whole sort of um, situation, right? And at the same time, keep the survey out there, see what the opportunities are. Um, A whole lot of things are being rewritten right now in terms of like manufacturing through geopolitics of manufacturing, and that's i couldn't have predicted that this would happen five years ago i have no idea, no idea we're going to be five years from now but i can tell you everything's going to be different so when people come to me and say hey i want to do a harder stuff i was like first of all take all my experience throw it out you're you have as much experience as i have in this new world of wow. manufacturing right? which means you can write you can write the story right it's it's a, actually it's a really exciting time for those people because they there's no rules. You just, you do it. You, you, if you, if you think it makes sense and you found an opportunity, chase it, go for it. I'm not going to be like, Oh, that won't work because of this, because what what am I to say? now? So, so I think for, you know, in a way, you know, the problems today are opportunities, particularly for the, you know, people who are you know, hungry and want to sort of find innovation and do interesting things. And so that's, that's really why I'm trying to keep myself on that side of the spectrum, and not sort of just sitting on my laurels and just, you know, holding on to the little bit of, you know, fortune I had left from before the things, and just keep keep innovating and looking for the next, you know, next interesting thing to do.
1: There we go. Well, any other closing thoughts, man? Anything you'd like to to let people know about or talk about before we call call into this? Um, no. I mean, I, 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 is there anything that you think I didn't cover, or no. like I should? I I think we covered a lot, man. I I think we had a a nice breadth of topics here. I mean, uh, do you want to talk a little bit really quick about maybe the Hacktivist and kind of like anything about that?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, so the Hacktivist was, uh, it was, um, it was an interesting, interestingly timed opportunity. I normally very shy for doing anything um, on camera. I hate hearing my own voice. Um, so, so, uh, but th- it was the middle of the pandemic, and and they wanted to do a shoot, which is all crazy because again, you couldn't even get a crew together. We had restrictions on. on but I was here, right? And so, I, you know, I was like, "Why not give it a try?" Right? And so, know, um, uh, yeah, Juliana pulled together a really talented crew of people. Um, really had to sort of innovate a bit to figure out how to how to get a, a movie like that shot with all the restrictions in place. Um, and, uh, and I, I'm really happy actually with how it came out. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I could actually sit through it and watch, I mean, not, 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 I mean, just like seizing myself is, is horrific. Right. So, but the fact that I could like, get through it and not like, like run out of the room screaming scream like, ah, like, um, I think they did a really good job with editing and making me not sound like a total idiot. Um, uh, uh, so, so um, anyways, yeah, I, I think they, it was really nice and I, I think the, the you know I think they they did a good job of, of relaying the story and and trying to make people aware about like their technology and 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 how how it can affect them and sort of some it, it's it's a nice it's a nice sort of gentle entry into why you should care about these type of things I think and and I, and I hope it becomes a thing that that just gets more people to say, huh, maybe I should look at it. Maybe I should think about this a little more. And if it if it serves that purpose and just gets more, just raises a broader awareness, I think it's it's done. Yeah, it's 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 been worth it for me. Right. Because that that's at the end of the day, it's not so much about me, but it's about raising that awareness and getting people more in control of their technology, more in touch with things and 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 not just you know giving up and rolling over and saying it's too complicated. We can't do anything about it.
1: Yeah, I love that, Bunny. Thanks, thanks so much for your time, man. I really, again, thank you for your late night and for taking the time yeah. and being on camera and all these things that uh, yeah, aren't your favorite yeah. things to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like to. I I really like just is it it, the one nice thing about the pandemic is like I I had like no calls, nothing. I just wrote code. I liked like like design circuits i would i could say like i actually soldered together all of the test stations by hand for my for my for the precursor like every single one of them because I, I, I had the time i was like oh i could just do this and like, you know listen to podcasts while i'm doing it and it's like oh. in a way as an introvert that was nice <laughs> yeah, but anyways, I, I,
1: I can relate but the world is slowly yeah. creeping back in
0: <laughs> yeah it is i mean it's you know for yeah i think for the better at the end of the day i mean like you know if, if everyone would operate like me we'd all just you know just grump at home right so it's 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 good that good good that we're seeing people connect and and things happening again but like yeah it is it's also been uh it's an adjustment for me to get used to all the calls and stuff now so
1: yeah well again man i appreciate it so thank you yeah no worries